there, sports fans. Welcome to the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. Today is October the 1st, 2021. Alex, welcome to Spooky Season. Mm, I can't believe it's October, man. It's crazy. We've been doing this podcast for six months now. A little over. I remember one of the first ones that we did, I came home from a twilight round at Tory Pines wearing my polo and my hat and we recorded an episode. I don't know what we talked about, but that was like April. Crazy, man. Time flies. Having fun. Celebrated our 50th episode. Uh, if uh, we have returning listeners, we are back for some news today. We, we will break from the pleasantries a little bit, um, but we had a pretty good time with that episode. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and, you know, we recorded at night late enough to where work wasn't a problem. So some, some spirits, some spirits and some other in- ingestions, <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah, no, it was a good time. Uh, it was good to speak with uh, Mr. Rager, of course, and Dalton uh, was hilarious. Yeah. And I, I actually had some people tell me that they, I don't know if preferred is the word, but they actually really appreciated to see us not so, not necessarily doom and gloom, but so you know, more relaxed and just kind of shooting the shit. And it, it, I think it's, uh, it brings a cool aspect to the show. So hopefully we can do it some more if we can uh, convince people to come hang out with us. Yeah, no doubt. I think we aim to uh, inform and we enjoy talking about uh, stories that matter, but it is nice to just kind of let loose once in a while and not really care because uh, to the extent that we can affect any of the things that we talk about, um, we don't take them all that seriously. So, but anyways, like you said, it's a uh, full day of news. Um, before we get to that, are you a big Halloween guy? Not really. I mean, like I, I enjoy your, your, your family, your household. You guys? Nah. I mean, I, I'm here no. to go to like a party. I gotta do. I'll do some drinking, but like I'm not. Yeah. Well, I'm not care. decorating the house and boarding up the windows and putting spider webs on shit. I don't care about all that. Yeah. What about you? Nah, I'm not inclined to do that either. Yeah. Christmas, I'm I'm more inclined to celebrate it to be outwardly expressive of my holiday cheer, but I, I love Halloween. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of the cooler holidays, uh, especially when I was in Ohio, it was a lot of fun to be in the midst of an autumn. You know, you probably don't get that feeling out there. Do you? Nah, man, honestly, October out here is, is like prime time for, for hot weather and dry, arid, uh, fire season weather Yeah, in October out here. So it's, it's the complete opposite of what, uh, the majority of the United States experiences as fall, but, um, I like it nonetheless. Yeah. With Christmas, like I don't even go crazy for that, but I do enjoy like putting the lights up and, you know, decorating the house a little bit, just like you're saying that little bit of holiday chair, but we're not really Mm -hmm. like holiday people in that sense. You know what I mean? I, 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 we, I got neighbors that like, bro, it looks like a Frankenmuth, Michigan. If you've ever been there, like it's just like, Christmas to the max and it's like elves and light up snowmen and blow up snowmen and, and lights and icicles and all this shit. And it's like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand why you would go through all that. Yeah. I don't know if you're, it's okay, man. If you're dead inside, you can tell us, we can help you. I mean, I have a, I found out this week I have a resting heartbeat of 44. So yeah, it, I'm about there. Clinically dead. About there, man. I, it's, it's the heartbeat. It's the resting heart rate of a professional athlete or conversely, it's the resting heart rate of someone who has poor electricity to their heart and may need a pacemaker sooner than later. So oh. I'm hoping it's the first yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look like a professional athlete, so I think we're good, but who knows? I'm going to, I'm going to save my opinion. <laughs> um, 
if you want to. A funny story about Frankenmuth, Michigan, of all places. So last week, I'm in the central coast of California, San Luis Obispo, a meeting with a customer hoping to sign a partnership agreement so we can uh, get them on board with what we're doing for electric vehicle charging. Sure. And, um, you know, when you start a meeting, you, you pleasantries and kind of start building your rapport a little bit, talking and uh, not much to do with business, kind of like we do at the beginning of each show. And I start talking to the customer and, and his daughter is, is a big part of the uh, the business there. And they talk about these study groups that they have and they're in the, the, the petroleum industry, the fueling industry. And within this industry, there's uh, a group of influential people that have a study group. They meet three, four times yearly. And then their children, if they so choose, have an, a, another study group and they meet separately in a different city and they go to different cities for each of these study groups. So I'm asking him, oh, where are you going? He goes, uh, I think Wisconsin. I go, oh, cool. I love Wisconsin. What part of Wisconsin? He goes, uh, he goes, Frankenmuth, but it's Michigan. I go, you're going to Frankenmuth, Michigan? Yeah. He goes, yeah. I go, you're going to Christmastown, USA? Yeah. He goes, he goes, what do you know about Frankenmuth? I was like, uh, brother, let me tell you. So something. you have gone there? I, I wondered if during your time here. No, no, actually, I've never gone there, but it's just so popular in that area that like everybody knows what Frankenmuth is. Oh, has he gone yet? He's there right now, actually, as we speak. Okay, you shoot him a text. So Bronner's is, that's that's what, like, Frankenmuth, that's why they call it Christmas Town. It's the biggest year-round Christmas, like, store yeah. uh, in the whole country. Tell him to go to Zender's. Uh, it's Zender's? A, it's a Z-E-H-N-D-E-R. Uh, it's like a family-style restaurant, but just, like, fried chicken, corn, mashed potatoes, serve family-style, smacking. Mm. It is so good, Frank. I, I, mm. I tell you, I'm telling you. I can't recommend it highly enough. We used to go there every year for my uh, with my family. Zenders was like a little getaway. Z e h n d e r s. But yeah, so that is really all I got for you. Other than um, I hope you lose in fantasy football week this week. Not likely. Not likely with the performance of James Robinson last night. Not likely. Yeah, uh, Jamar Chase kind of let me down. <sighs> yeah, it was a good game. All these games, all these primetime games have been great. What are the Thursday games on though? NFL Network, I want to say they're on Yahoo. Okay. And I want to really say they stream on Twitter. I don't I don't know. They're kind of weird. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to really watch any Thursday games. I, I tried to watch it yesterday, and I guess I don't have NFL Network. So mm. guess I'm poor. Sucks to suck. But did you see, um, I think, no, you did. We were talking about this, this post on Joe Rogan's uh, Instagram that he put up. Uh, about these troll farms that are like controlling uh, different numerous like Facebook pages and like kind of uh, influencing like a lot of different people. Yeah, I did. I did. And uh, um, I know we were both curious if this was like uh, true or if this was just some clickbait spammy kind of thing that came through the timeline. And I figured if Rogan was going to put it up that it had gotten vetted to a point at least because right. he's a big figure doesn't want to take a bunch of shit so but I, we i looked into it too and it looks like basically this is all based off a study by mit technology review so pretty credible source with mit um but what they found is that in the run-up to the 2020 election which was the most highly contested in our u.s history facebook's most popular pages for christian and black american content were being run by eastern european troll farms more specifically like russian uh, these pages were part of a larger network that collectively reached nearly half of all Americans, so over 150 million people. 
according to an internal company report that was done by Facebook. And they achieved that reach not only through user choice, but primarily as a result of Facebook's own platform design and engagement hungry algorithm. So there's a way to finesse the algorithm in in a fashion that you can get it to appear on more people's pages. uh, And it kind of just exponentially will increase at a point Mm -hmm. like when it's getting enough user traction and views and reposts and shares like it, it explodes very, very quickly. Because obviously Facebook wants people on their app. They want to find stuff that's engaging. So there you go. This report came out actually in 2019, uh, October. Basically, MIT got this from a former Facebook employee. And they found that after the election, Facebook failed to prioritize fundamental changes to how its platform promotes and distributes information. So they're aware of this problem. They know what's going on and who's controlling these pages. And they aren't doing anything to change it or to combat it. Uh, The company instead pursued a whack-a-mole strategy that involved monitoring and quashing the activity of bad actors when they engaged in political discourse and adding some guardrails that prevented the worst of the worst. So they're doing a little bit of something, something, but not a ton. And the fact that this was a report from 2019, and then we find in 2020, 19 of the top 20 Christian pages that were on Facebook were run by these troll farms. So only one of the top 20 pages that are going out to probably what you would say is like the biggest populace of people. I, I would, Christians got to be the majority in, in America, right? Yeah, for sure. I would think. Yeah, 100%. So I, I would say like some of the biggest demographics, at least as far as like who's on social media, and especially in this age, like where it's our parents and grandparents all over social media, most of this information is is being fed to them, maybe to incite people or to make them feel a certain way. Really, really egregious stuff. And the fact that Facebook knew about this is, is pretty scary. Um, and it sounds like they're attempts, if you want to call it, to kind of stop this or, or get a hold on it didn't really work. This approach did little to stem the underlying problem. Uh, troll farms, which are professionalized groups that work in a coordinated fashion to post provocative content, uh, propaganda to all these different social networks, they're still building massive audiences by running networks of Facebook's pages. Um, their content reached over 140 US users per month, 75% of whom had never followed any of the pages. 140 million? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it, it's like people don't even need to follow these pages to still be seeing this content on their on their timeline and still, you know, share it and do whatever and like keep spreading this message. So it's it is insane how much pull, I guess you would say, or how much influence that these troll farms potentially had on at least the 2020 election, if not the one before in 2016. The way I think about it is like a, like a circle that, that has like three dots. And at the top of that dot, you have the our own you know uh, media companies mainstream media and and social media and and there's obviously a, like a a brutally competitive bid for our views and and um our consumption of their product right and these companies in that bid for our attention have largely abandoned their pursuit of truth and they focus selectively on, you know, the most incendiary topics, be it, uh, race, religion, gender, what have you in the story. It's, it's, uh, uh, you know, bl- black run pages or, or, or supposedly black run pages and Christian pages. And, um, so that's, that's one thing. Right. And, and then that gets showered down onto the populace us and we consume it. And then we become incest by these headlines, right? We, we, 
we read the tweets and this endless 24-7 news cycle of fear and hatred. And we begin to let our guard down and we become defensible and we kind of silo into our little groups and civil discourse then turns into a competition of who's going to be on the right side of history, right? So you have these two dots and our adversaries see this and they see an opportunity to use the communication channels that we built <laughs> and then in, yeah. and then echo these incredibly decisive words uh, and they echo them million times over every single day in an attempt to create mass hysteria. And it's awful. It's kind of like if back in our grandparents' days, we had all our U.S. newspapers, which is primarily where people got their news, but they were all being written by you know KGB agents exactly. over in Russia. Exactly. That's exactly right. It's such a great metaphor. Um, and I think a lot of us, I would argue that the majority of us still love this country. Um, and we're all capable of humility. And even if we didn't want to admit it, we all know that America still affords us ample opportunity um, on top of endless avenues of fun and recreation and excess and everything that comes with being in America. So I, I, I think about this question a lot. Why are we still at each other's throats? If we know that in today in America, despite all of everything else that's going on that is uh, to the negative, it is still the best time ever in history to be human in America. Why is it that we still feel so compelled to be at each other's throats? Um, and I have an idea that I want to lay out here that I think does a good job of beginning to answer that question. And it's not uh, an idea that I can take credit for. It's actually an idea from a former KGB operative uh, turned defector. His name is Yuri Bezmanov. And he's responsible for bringing this idea into the public, at least in, into my sphere. And he's defined this idea as ideological subversion or the subversion of American culture. And he doesn't define it as an activist or an ideologue, but as a Soviet trained spy. In other words, he defines it as somebody who's actually tasked in subverting the ideology of America. That was his job for like 14 years. Hmm. So okay. the idea that he presents is more or less universal, but when it's applied to this country, I think it strikes a nerve. So I, I have some clips from an interview that he did in 1980, 1984, which is kind of crazy because um, everything that he says in it is so poignant uh, to what's going on right now. So Al, tell me if you can hear this. Professionals would have tested this out before, but hey, we're only 51 episodes in, so bear with us. But in reality... The main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, actively мероприятия in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interest of defending themselves, their families, their community and their country. It's a great brainwashing 
process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages so i'll stop it there for a second um that first thing he was talking about was he was saying that the idea of like a KGB agent or, or espionage or spy has been kind of polluted by like your James Bonds and all your flashy, um, you know, uh, spy movies. And, and he said, in fact, only about 15% of the energy, time and money spent on actual uh, espionage activities is spent doing that kind of work. He said the other 85% right. is ideological subversion. And he, and, he, and he started to lay out what it was, mass hysteria, brainwashing. To so, so in that, even though you're inundated with information, you cannot come to a conclusion that is sensible for you and your family. Sound familiar? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, like how crazy is yeah. that? This is 1984 he's talking about it, right? So he's going to go into the four, um, I guess, tenets, if you will, of, of this idea of ideological uh, of subversion and I, uh, the clips that I, I cut don't really explain each one. So before we get into it, I just want to lay them out. Um, the four stages are demoralization, destabilization, crisis, and normalization. I'll read them again. Keep them in, keep them in mind. Demoralization, destabilization, crisis, normalization. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result, the result you can see, most of the people who graduated in the 60s, dropouts or half-baked intellectuals, are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. They are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind. Even if you, if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black, you still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid society of these people, you have you need another 20 or, or, or 15 years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and, and, and uh, common, common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of, the, uh, of the United States society. And yet these people have been programmed and, as you say, in place and yes. who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept. Mm -hmm. These are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? Most of them, yes. Uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock, when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, obviously they will revolt. They, 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 will, uh, they, they will be very unhappy, frustrated people. And the Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. A lot to unpack there. Uh, the beginning of that segment, 
he he begins to talk about how the this process starts in universities and in schools so that these ideas and, and listen I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to you know rah rah America we need you know a bunch of blue blooded patriots anything like that but he, he's, what he's saying is these ideas Marxist communist ideas infiltrate these schools attach themselves to these people that are getting educated Al I know you went to university in the past 10 years I did I recognized this immediately yeah. Like, like a hundred percent, like this was different. This wasn't how our world worked. And at the time, that's all I could, that's the only way I could define it. Right. It was different. Um, and I think as I got a little older and, and, and began to bring in a little bit more knowledge about almost everything else that's going on around me, you realize that these words that he's saying, they ring true. They, these ideas get into these underdeveloped or undeveloped brains they seep in they attach themselves on and that becomes their truth their reality and then these people leave the universities they spread out they get into to places of power and then those ideas begin to manifest themselves in our day-to-day i think we can see that everywhere i think oh, yeah. we can see that everywhere you could take literally any topic um what once was black and white true now becomes gray and the whole idea of truth objective truth begins to dissolve right in front of us so i think that there's a lot of truth to what this guy is saying do you agree or do you, do you have anything to, to counter it no yeah totally dude i think it's terrifying because this shit was he was talking about this in the 80s and like i literally think we're seeing the full results of this now like i <laughs> I've if you look at like the last 30 40 years of our country like it's been a slow deterioration or it's explainable by that at least at the very least like especially as social media boomed and we see more stuff like this come in it's like dude slowly but surely we're all at each other's necks we're all divided and like the idea of America or a patriotism or the American it's so skewed now it's mm-hmm. so jaded sure. and and divided and you don't if there was like a world war three now, like I don't, I don't know what that would look like for us, man. I don't, I don't think it'd look great. Yeah. Great point. Like if we're going against, like if Russia and China wanted to take us out, I think that'd be real easy for them. To well, do. and I think that's kind of what he's saying here. Like that's, that's kind of the whole point of this is that if your adversaries wanted to eliminate you for good, if they wanted to get at the core of what you were, what you, who you were, then this is how they would do it. Or at least this is how they trained us to, to, to make it happen. I don't know that I have a clip yeah. pulled, but in, in, in this interview that he's giving, um, he mentions just how surprised at he was, how surprised he was at how fast that this was able to work in America. And, mm. you know, like you said, man, if you had to defend America today, what, what would that mean to you? Cause that doesn't mean that doesn't mean me defending you and my family and my brothers and sisters. It means defending an idea that not everybody is on board with. And in fact, a lot of people are, uh, in, in, in complete defiance of the idea of what America yeah. is. Right. So there's a lot of people who would say, well, fuck it needs to burn, let it burn. And so, and so this, this is working. I'd be interested to see if there was like a war 
like what signups would be with like African American populace today as compared to like World War II times? Because I know I know racism was more rampant, but like the American dream was still more alive mm-hmm. back then. To where now I feel like a lot of Black Americans, and this is like a super generalization from a white person, so I, I could be completely off base here. But like, and maybe and probably with good reason, like because of police brutality and a lot of other things, like don't feel like this country gives them those same opportunities. I'd be really interested to see like signups between World War II and now. And I feel like World War II would have more support. Obviously there was a draft, so like people were forced, but I feel like of just natural signups, there would have been more back then than you would find today. Which is crazy because back then it was in, uh, you know, full throttled uh, Jim Crow laws. I could be completely wrong there. I, I guess that you kind of just popped in my head and I, I could see it at least. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. There, I, there's a lot to that. And we, you know, we could go into, it's probably a whole nother uh, episode, but, but I, that, that's an interesting, uh, uh, question to ponder. Um, you know, for, for, for as bad as it was back then, our perception, and I would agree with you I, 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 and, and correct me if, if I'm, you know, getting your word wrong here, but I think that our perception of a life back then is that it had more hope in it. The American dream was alive. Yeah, exactly. There was something that you felt worth fighting for, even though you were being actively, legally suppressed you still yeah. felt like hey i'm gonna take up arms because i still believe in everything that's going on and, and you know maybe because it wasn't too far removed from the end of slavery and there was a war fought in in support and won because of the fact that slavery was in you know an immoral abomination and so maybe maybe you felt like that that there was a trend there I, I, you know I, I have my reasons of why i think that we have failed a large swath of our population, including a good chunk of, of uh, African-Americans. But again, that that's an, another program altogether. Um, so I have a little bit more for you guys here. Uh, unlike in present United States, there will be no place for dissent in, in future Marxist-Leninist America. Uh, here you can, you can get uh, popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. This they don't understand, and uh, it will be greatest shock for them, of course. What's the first thing you think of when you, when you hear that clip? People that are anti-vaccination. Uh, it's exactly what popped in my mind. Too. <laughs> you can't, you can't be distant. You can't, you can't have an opinion, right? Like, like I don't know. I wasn't alive in either were you, but I knew growing up because my, my my grandpa was in the navy his whole life. He was in World War Two, and and you know my grandma, m- more or less a you know staunch Republican. Uh, I knew who Jane Fonda was growing up, and people of my grandma's stature and, and uh, her background hated Jane Fonda because she was a dissident, but she was allowed to do it. Right. Like nobody was actively vote, like trying to squash her voice. I mean, they were trying to pose her, but yeah, like now, I mean, you can barely come out and say anything about, uh, COVID and, and, and not be, you know, labeled like you, you, you want people to die. Yeah. San Diego, this past week, it was Tuesday or Wednesday, one of those days, they um, passed a ordinance saying that all students 16 and older and all faculty and staff in San Diego schools had to be vaccinated. It was mandated. 
Mm-hmm. You know how many kids from the age of 12 to 19 have died in San Diego County of COVID over the last, since it's been around? How many? Zero. Mm-hmm. Zero. Between the ages of zero and 12, two kids have died. And it's very possible they could have died with COVID and not from COVID. I'm not here to opine on that, but it's two. Between the ages of zero and, and 19 in San Diego County, two have died and we're mandating vaccines. And we can't like, we can't have a conversation about why we're doing that. You're saying it's for safety, but the truth, what, what the facts are telling us, which I accept as the truth is saying like, no, it's, it, they are safe. What is the issue? I don't understand why we have to take these measures and it's going around everywhere. Just kind of to this point though, as I think about it and if I, if I look at our current world as one that potentially has been infiltrated by methods like this and, and I mean, obviously, obvious divisiveness, whether that's because of Eastern powers or because of just our country going fucking crazy. If you, if you look at something and I was reading an article actually from the San Diego union tribune from like two weeks ago, and it was talking, it was comparing polio vaccine that came out in the early 1900s to our current vaccine and Mm -hmm. how one was it's opposed at a, at a grassroots level. And this, I'm talking polio. It, it was opposed. Like there were people that were against it, but the vast majority of everyone was like, this is a good thing. This is what we should mm. do as Americans to help everybody. And everybody got it. And polio was damn near eradicated. Right. I, I and I've said this before on our podcast. I feel like if, if this kind of, if COVID would have happened in a, an earlier time, even as late as like eighties, uh-huh. I think a vast majority as part of that American dream and we're all one would have gotten it. But now as possibly a result of these troll farms and, and these, these penetrations of our media and apparently like the minds of our youth make it so that it's like politicized or just this thing that like is so debated to where like this could have been gone months ago if everyone would have got vaccinated. Right. But like, I also right. hear the frustrations. Like I understand myself as someone who's vaccinated, you don't want to just like be forced to put something into your body. So like, I get that, but just hearing all this makes me think like, damn, like maybe we're really seeing the effects of this kind of stuff now, man. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, like think about it. If you, you know, if you, if you didn't have these echo chambers, completely, like continually pumping this stuff into your, into your head, then the idea that not taking this vaccine wouldn't be as big of an idea. And therefore the people who are in, in our leadership wouldn't ever feel that they had to do, to take these measures. Right. Right. Yeah. Because of what we're seeing in the national discourse and everybody with their, with their, their swords out and their guns out about this vaccine, then we feel like we have to take these measures to protect, um, to protect the citizens, I guess the, you know, I think the big difference there between polio vaccine and this vaccine is that polio killed children at a rate of like 30%. Right. COVID doesn't affect children, man. It just doesn't yeah. it, it, in, in any way that's serious at all. But how many parents could you say that to? And they would be like, yeah, I agree with you. You know? True. But the rate, so polio, it did kill children. It was, it was more egregious in that way, but like there weren't as many cases as with COVID. Like, so in in 53, it said 35,000, there was 35,000 cases in America in 1953. By 1961, there's only 161. It's like the, the vaccine worked. And and I mean, you know, comparing 35,000 to the millions of people, they're, they're different, but polio, I feel like, 
I don't know. I guess more people have died from COVID though than I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know the numbers, but but also the polio vaccine was far more effective in preventing people from getting polio than than this is. So so you have that like that's a fact, right? Like you know yeah. that if you get this vaccine, and there's very people. You put it on Instagram the other day. I forget who it was. Uh, NBA player it was very eloquent in, in his description of of, of the vaccine. Uh, Bill Belichick has kind of echoed those same thoughts too, um, basically saying like, "Hey, you know, we have we have to take into consideration that just because somebody has this vaccine doesn't mean they're not, that they're not going to get this disease." And from a coaching standpoint, I have to, you know, I can't make personnel decisions based off of who's got the vaccine and who doesn't, because who's to say that anybody's not at risk for giving somebody this disease if you can catch it with it with the vaccine. So um, and, and so it's it's, you know. But, but here's what's frustrating about that, because you and me, both vaccinated people can look at this a decision, say, like YouTube, who just this week said that they are going to take down any content that questions uh, whether or not that the vaccine is safe. And it's just like, holy shit, mm-hmm. like like. Y- y- you can't put those two things, those are two completely different ideas, the the, the censorship of, of your fellow man. To put on a forum where literally anything can exist, you can go and watch murders on on YouTube all day. Twitter, but, yeah. you, but but now you can't put on YouTube that, that the vaccine may not be safe, and it may not be safe for some people. There are stories out there. So when I went to share that clip on Instagram, I literally got a warning from Instagram that says, are you sure you want to share this? I guarantee you, if that was something pro-vaccine, that would not have come up. No, probably not. I guarantee you, that post was flagged for whatever agenda that they have. And then, just piggybacking off that, some of the responses I got from that were really like kind of funny, man. I had someone tell me that it's your personal choice to get it, but if they don't want to, they can choose to not be part of society too, just like they're choosing to not be vaccinated. And I'm like, are you fucking mm-hmm. kidding me? Are you serious? Are you serious? It's wild, man. It's wild because it, it you know, to, to say something like that lacks humility on a level that, that is almost unfathomable. It, if you were to, I mean, like, it would be the same as like if if you stood at the end of a, a fast food line at a McDonald's and you chastise everybody who bought a a, a, <laughs> yeah, right. a Big, Big Mac, Mac, you know, yeah, all right. it's like you can enjoy that Big Mac, but you're putting a an incredible depressant on our healthcare system. So if you want to eat this Big Mac, you can also drop out of society because we're not going to take care of you when you need it. Right. That's it's, it's, it's the exact same message that you're sending. Yeah, right. All right. I got two more clips. I like this man's accent. It's soothing, isn't it? It is. It's in the weirdest way. It kind of like lulls you. It's almost as if I've been hearing it my whole life through Normalization everything. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis. To promise people all kind of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with the benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. Mm. Walter Mondale was the vice president of Jimmy Carter, who's 97 today, actually. Um, so that th- th- this section of this clip, what he's talking about is the fourth. So we skipped over uh, destabilization and crisis. You just chalked that up to the Donald Trump years, too. <laughs> like that's yeah, what, I that's guess. when it all well, seemed I mean, to like destabilize to me right before that. Y- 
Yeah, you know, he he uses not his fault, but yeah, uh, he he uses very um, uh, apocalyptic uh, examples that I, I didn't think were relevant here, but. When he's talking about destabilization, is exactly what he's saying. It's like the, after you're demoralized, then there's there's no stabilization, and then you can introduce crisis. Right? Uh, that crisis could have been Donald Trump very easily. Obviously, I mean, our response to it, you know, could could, could resemble that, and and it could also be COVID. It could be both. Um, in, yeah. in 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 relevant terms today, but then he starts to talk about normalization, right? And he talks about when when uh, the Soviets infiltrated Czechoslovakia and they had all their troops there and now he says, now the situation is normalized. Well, what do we hear all of the fucking time? This is the new normal. This is the new normal. This is the new normal. Is this the new normal? This is the new normal. The, nor- the normal, I mean, it's... And, and listen, I'm not saying that oh, it's like a... I'm not saying it's like, uh, you know, some insidious plan from the media. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm not, you know, what, what I'm saying is I, 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 what I think is that these tenets, these principles of subversion of, of, a, of a population um, follow these steps more or less naturally. So even if it wasn't somebody pulling puppet strings from the top, um, it's exactly what is happening regardless of, of, of what you think. And that's what we're yeah. being told all the time, that this is now normal. And that's, you know, I was introduced to this club a couple of years ago, it, way before COVID or anything, this, this thing kind of happened and you could kind of start to see the parallels. And when you look at the world with these ideas in your head, you start to kind of separate almost everything that you're being told to kind of what your experience is, right? Like what your world, what your day to day is all of the time. And, and what he referenced. I think that's a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, just, I, I think that's tough for us to do. You know, I, I remember I'll, there's always this example about my mom saying to me one time, she was like watching the news and she's like, oh, there's so much hatred. I go, is it really? She goes, yeah, it's everywhere. I go, is it? Like, what about your life? Like, do you experience hate in your life? Like when you go to work or when you go to the store or when you go out to eat, or you go to the bar to get a drink, aren't your experiences like overwhelmingly positive, save for maybe like one or two that aren't? And, and, and that's just like my, I, I think that's a good idea here. Like, like could, could, do we have a problem separating what we see from what is, particularly but, in our own experience? But also do we ignore what is? Like when we see all these numerous examples of police brutality, like I, I think if you pose that question to many of like my black friends, they would give you a very different answer than like what I would say. Like, no, I, I really don't see it that often mm-hmm. as like when I lived on the South side and I ran a recording studio down there, I can't tell you how many times police would be sitting out of my outside of my house, came up to my house asking me if I was okay because black people were there with me. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like mm-hmm. within our closed environments of like what we do day to day and the people we immediately surround ourselves with all the time, that hatred might not be as present, but like to others, it could be very present on the daily. So I, I, I hear you, man. I, I don't know if I could say yes or no either way to what she's saying or what you're saying. I think there's truths to both sides. It's, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, uh, and, and, and I, I can't necessarily argue with, with that. And that's 
definitely not my experience, but sure. um, I, I do think that there is a, uh, you know, the, the, the whole sum of these thoughts is that the, the idea here is to, is to, is to present to the, the population these ideas that then destabilize, brainwash, and, and, and then remove your ability to think, act, and prepare for your own life without first taking into consideration A, B, C, D, or E. You know what I'm saying? And then he referenced all these things that will be promised that may not be delivered upon. And (laughs) if there's one party or, or kind of policies that we see now of over promising and under delivering, it is the democratic party. So it's like, that is when he said that I was like, Oh shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you, I think you could even zoom out just a little bit and like politicians in general, politics in general, and anybody who, anybody who isn't, um, you know, on the side of, the principal tenets of what it means to be an American of, of, of the freedom and, and the liberty of what it means to be an American and then decides to uh, divulge into the corruption and the greed and, and the just complete total negligence of your, of your fellow man that, that is bred in the world of politics. And actually my, my last clip that I have for you is uh, a commentary on that. And, 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 you know, with a, with a good, Nice shot to our, our capitalistic friends. If we are talking about capitalists or, or, or wealthy businessmen, they, I think they are selling the rope on which they will hang very soon. If they don't stop, if they cannot curb their unsettled desire for profit, and if they keep on trading with the monster of the Soviet communism, they are going to hang very soon. And it, they will pray to be killed, but unfortunately they will be sent to Alaska probably to manage industry of slaves. It's, it's simplistic. I know it sounds unpleasant. I know Americans don't like to listen to things which are unpleasant. But I have defected not to tell you the stories about such idiocies as microfilm, James Bond type, espionage. This is garbage. Uh, you don't need any espionage anymore. I have come to talk about survival. It's a question of survival of this system. You may ask me, what is it in for me? Survival, obviously, because unlike, I, as I said, I am now in your boat. If, if we sing together, we'll sing beautifully together. There is no other place on this planet to defect to. Some weird ominous music there at the end, but um, I think that the Soviet idea that he's talking about there uh, in terms of capitalism has now turned into China, obviously. Um, you know, he, he said that the hardcore capitalists and the, the greedy, wealthy businessmen are selling the rope from which they will hang. Um, and, and in a society like America, that is the rope from which we all will hang because even though we don't see it, we are so directly affected by every single business decision that is made particularly um a a geopolitical one and we're so intertwined with an economy like china's that we are now their bitch in in lack of a better term so now the only option bless you is to decouple from something like china or this idea although 
Some might say it's, it's, it's too late, but at the end there, he said, there is nowhere else to defect to. And that's a hundred percent true. So my question after, after listening to him, though, is you have in one hand, the American dream, Mm -hmm. freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. And in the other hand, you have communist or, you know, a dictatorship or whatever you want to say of like Russia and, and like that, that way of thinking China, Russia, like this is, there's one way to look at this thing. We're going to censor the shit that goes against it. This is yeah. how you live. Like how, how, how do you, you have our ideals of free speech, but not bring about division? Like, are we seeing the effect in America of communist Russia and, and China and, and these, these Eastern sources infiltrating our lives and our social media and our students? Are we seeing that? Or are we just seeing the result after 300 some years of what free speech actually turns out to be a democracy what what that actually ends up being yeah no that's a fair point man and and i i i would argue that you that that it's it's certainly exactly what um yuri just laid out that yeah our ideas um our our youth our education system has been infiltrated by these ideas and that has spread into every single faction of our society. Mm. So into destabilize everything because yeah. that is the point of those ideas is to destabilize everything. I mean, and that's what I would argue. And, and you know, free speech isn't just free speech. There's certainly responsibility that comes with that. And I think that what these ideas are exposing is that while there is free speech, the greatest benefit to you can also be your greatest detriment. I think that is a, is a, you know, a tale as old as time with anything, right? The thing you do the best could be the thing that ultimately dooms you if you don't take care of it. Right. Like is free speech, our rope, as he describes it with capitalists. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. And it absolutely could be, it absolutely could be if it's not taken care of properly. And the way you take care of it properly is you do not put any limits on it. If it is a constitutional right, you allow it to be that come hell or high water. Sure. Because if you try to, if you try to, to constrict, if you try to constrain what it is to be able to speak freely, but still say that you have free speech, well, then you're contradicting yourself entirely. And you can't, that, that impasse is, is you, you can't step over that. You can't move that out of the way that has to be cleared completely because you can't tell somebody on one hand that they live in a world of free speech and then, um, take a video off YouTube where they're documenting their cousin who lost all feeling in their arm after taking the COVID vaccine or somebody else. There was a a video I saw of this woman who took the vaccine and just completely was immersed in convulsions, could not stop shaking. And that isn't to say that's going to happen to everybody, but that's to say that it happened to this person. They have as much right as anybody to say, this is what happened to me after I took this vaccine. I want this to be known because if this happens to another person and nobody else heard about it, then I haven't done my right as an American. And you're trying to squash that communication. And it's, it's, it's not just like, you know, a lot of people, Howard Stern said it about Joe Rogan. And a lot of people have said it about people who, who, who are, openly uh for uh you know freedom of choice when it comes to the vaccine and they'll say fuck your freedom 
And that idea is so toxic. It's so detrimental to everything that we hold dear that I don't think people realize it enough because you're able to take for granted your freedoms. And if you're not taking it into your own hands to make your life, uh, you know, something where, where you have the ability to, to, uh, research and know all, all the things that you want to know, then you're, you're, you're very willing to just give up these things to, you know, this, this big brother government that he was talking about and have them make the decisions because you, you, you yourself have not, you've not taken it upon yourself. You're not incumbent upon yourself to, to make these decisions for yourself. So you're saying, well, a little bit of freedom is good for this trade-off. And that, no, the answer is absolutely not. That is, that cannot happen. And I think that's what this guy Yuri is saying right here. That can't happen. Well, okay. So, so suppose these ideas that we presented today are true. I, I have reason to believe that they are. And, and I think you can find examples in throughout society from the moment that this gentleman spoke in, in the mid 1980s to now. Suppose these ideas are true. And we are a culture that has been subverted, destabilized, demoralized, and now we're being ushered in a new normal. What do we do? Dude, I, <laughs> your guess is as good as mine. Man, I, I don't know. I do not yeah. know the answer to that question, truthfully. I, I mm. wish I could think on the spot and, and something smart to, to say, like, we should all come together and, and re-envision <laughs> this American dream. I don't, see, I don't see a route today with how divided everyone is. To, to do this it, short of like the same dead horse I always beat on this two-party system is dividing us and blah 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 but I, I don't even know if that would be enough to to have us bounce back from the seeds that have been planted and and sowed for years yeah it's tough and it certainly doesn't lend to much hope for the future based off of these ideas that have been presented I know you got an answer though yeah tell the truth there you go yeah yeah, that's, that's true. That's that is the only way to start making any difference ever is to tell the truth, especially when it's hard, especially when you're going to get blowback from it, especially when it's going to offend people. And have the humility to know that if you've said something that you thought was a truth and then later turns out to be wrong, have the humility to admit that. Those two things. And I think we, you know, if, if everybody started to do that, I think we would all be immediately 50% better as a, as a society, but it's hard to do, man. Think about it. Think about Jordan Peterson always poses this question. And he says, do you think that you're a good person and why? And then he makes the argument that it's actually incredibly hard to be a good person. And that in reality, most of us are moderately bad people. And he says, because we don't have the criteria set in place, like, you know, you don't audit your actions every day. I don't audit my actions every day. And I make concessions all of the time. I justify things that I know I shouldn't be doing all the time. And I might not be out there abusing people. I might not be out there, you know, being a complete asshole to everybody. And I might try in my heart of hearts to do the right thing when I come across an opportunity to do so. But we don't take inventory of our actions on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and maybe we should, but, but the point here is that because of that, because we don't do that and maybe we don't have the bandwidth to do that in as, in our busy lives and, and, and how crazy things are going. Um, 
that the only buffer between falling into a trap where you are brainwashed and, and subverted and, 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 and become this pawn of a, of a greater evil is to tell the truth at every instance that you have the opportunity to, to tell the truth. Did we just come up with our mission statement? Mm. <laughs> tell the truth and treasure friendship or something of that nature. There you go. <laughs> tell the truth about your friends. I think you're a good person, Frank, by the way. I think you're a loser. I mean, you're right, but I still think you're a good person. So, <laughs> Thanks, man. I have no reason to believe that you're a bad person. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only thing that, that muddies those waters, I guess, is when you, you, you talk religion, because then you have standards that are different than, or, or maybe more, more strict. But like, I think a majority of the people I encounter on, on a daily basis, I think are good people. I, I don't, yeah. I, I know you, the way you described it just yeah. now is a little more pessimistic from Mr. Peterson's viewpoint, um, which I think comes from more, I mean, he's very knowledgeable and, and very studied in, in Christian and in, in religion. So maybe that's more where that comes from. But I, I feel like if we give everyone more the benefit of the doubt and, and see the best in people instead of try to nitpick about them being shitty or, or what's bad about them, I think the world would be a, a lot better place. Sure, man. And, and I think it, it came way more from a place of, of self-reflection and humility. Yeah. Um, instead of like, you know, like not me saying, oh, you're a bad person because you don't, you don't check everything you do. It's like, wait, am I not as good of a person as I thought I could be? If I think I'm a good person, then why? You know, that's a, such an interesting question. Yeah. If you think you're a good person, why do you think you're a good person? Are you asking me? Well, I mean, you don't have to answer because it's an incredibly difficult, complex question. Like when you, when you get down to it, because you don't know why you're a good person, you have ideas of what makes a good person, but who you are is what you do every day. Right. And that's what makes you who you are. And it's almost impossible to be that retrospective in your own life. And so you have other people who look at you like your wife, for example, who sees you from a different perspective every day, sees your habits, sees your actions, sees everything that you do. She could probably answer that question a whole lot more honestly than you could. <laughs> That's you, true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, you're no, a little no, bit yeah, blind yeah. to your every day. And, and um, my girlfriend, the same, and my family, the people who have observed my actions from an outside perspective. Right. And, and so I, I don't know. I just, I love, love that question. I love pondering that question. And I love the humility that it brings because it's like, well, I don't, I don't really know if I'm a good person unless I do all of the work necessary to build out a criteria of what a good person is and then match myself up to that every day. I was, I mean, that's religion in a way though. Like as we've gotten yeah, into yeah, debates yeah, before, yeah. it's like you've said it before, is. like you don't necessarily believe in all like the the story of religion, but you firmly believe in like the results it brings from the people, you know what I mean? From like the day-to-day -day tenets of life and how to be a good person, 10 commandments, all these things. Now, I think there's truth to that. I, I do. And, but, but I think it starts with the truth and friendship and friendship. Absolutely. Friendship. And you can't be, you can't be a friendship. You can't be a friend without being truthful. It wouldn't last. That's true. And you uh, can't be a friend without drinking a good smooth cup of coffee. Uh, that is a treat by itself, Frank. But when you can do it with friends and also help American heroes like veterans and first responders, fellow friends, it's that much better. Our sponsor, Gun Barrel Coffee, is proud to donate $1 from every single item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across our amazing country. From their medium blend, the Moab, 
which I've been drinking a lot lately along with the Space Force. Uh, they're double dark. If you really like that thick, real nice roast, uh, the Battleship, I highly recommend. CBD infused blend, that Medic. You just want to like chill and relax a little bit. Um, they've got a lot of different varieties of coffees, and I think there would be one that I'm sure you would find and love. Uh, they offer 14 different blends, in fact, uh, which you can get in whole bean, ground, or single surf pods. And right now, as a friend of our ship, you can use the promo code FNH10 to save 10% at checkout when you buy their products at gunbarrelcoffee.com. That's promo code FNH10. Gun Barrel Coffee, damn good coffee, damn good cause. That space for us a real thick bitch. <laughs> yeah, if you want to comment on anything that we had to say today or uh, at any time, um, there are plenty of avenues for you to contact us. We are on Twitter at FriendshipNH. We are on Instagram at Friendship News Hour. Same tag on TikTok, Friendship News Hour. And you can email us uh, at bummerdude.media at gmail.com. That's bummerdude.media at gmail.com and we'll see you next time.